Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23, says, Also there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, referring to Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Father, we just ask now as we open the word of God, as we continue to worship in this place this morning, even as we sang and prayed, we pray that this time in your word would be just as much a part of our worship as everything else. And that, Lord, our attention to your word and your spirit speaking to us would be something that causes us to leave this place different than we came. We ask, Lord, take away the distractions and the things that would keep our minds and our hearts from hearing your voice as the living God speaking to us. We ask, bless your word, Lord, minister to us by your Holy Spirit this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, is it possible that you have ever at some point wished maybe that as an individual you knew Jesus just a little bit better than you do right now? Whether you're here this morning and you don't really have a relationship with Jesus Christ yet and that hasn't taken place in your life, well, praise the Lord, we're glad you're here worshiping with us and maybe you're here because of the fact that you're open to seeking a little more about who Jesus is and getting to know him and that's a wonderful thing. Or if you're here this morning and maybe you've been a Christian for a few years or for many years, perhaps you can relate to the fact of even though you know Jesus, you say, yeah, but I'd sure love to know him even a little bit better than I already do. Well, Paul the Apostle, who wrote, honestly, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the majority of the New Testament scriptures as God used him as sort of his ink pen to record the word of God for us, Paul, 30 years into his Christian experience and relationship with Jesus, expressing his desire to know Jesus more deeply and to a greater extent, he exclaimed these words. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul wanted to know not just intellectually, but experientially the power of Jesus's resurrection. And I think we would all have to agree there is indeed a power that's connected to Jesus Christ raising back from the dead defeating the grave and coming back to life after he was dead. Certainly there's an impressive display of power in that one-time act whereby after suffering for our sins upon the cross and being put to death and then being buried, that Jesus Christ conquered the death process, that he overcame the grave. And that's an extremely impressive display of power. If you ask me, Jesus said in John 10, 18, while he was still alive, these words, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. And Jesus indeed did that very thing. And it's a pretty powerful thing that God living in human flesh among us, and that's who Jesus was, God living in human flesh among us, that God himself while among us, it's pretty powerful, would willingly allow guilty and selfish human beings to punish him for their sins. That's a powerful display of love. 
that God would absorb our guilt, God would absorb our punishment as the innocent one, Jesus willingly laid down his life through death to take the punishment for our sins. But more than that, it's also pretty powerful that Jesus, as he predicted, was able to raise his life back from the dead as a man. That Jesus, living as a man in a body of flesh, just like you and I, experiencing pain and death and all those things, that Jesus did something that no other human being has ever been able to do. No other human being has ever overcome or defeated the power of the death process. How many people do you know that predicted that they could and then afterwards raise themselves back from the grave? I only know one. I only know one man that did that, and that was Jesus because he was both God and man at the same time. Yet Jesus was clinically dead. He was buried and sealed in a tomb with a Roman guard in a way that was unable to be broken, that seal. And yet three days later, as predicted, Jesus raised from the dead and there is now an empty tomb in Israel. Jesus said himself in Revelation chapter one, I am he who lives, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Yet the power of Jesus' resurrection is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago historically. That's a wonderful thing. It's a documented thing. It's something that has incredible proof and validity to it. But the power of his resurrection isn't something that just happened historically 2,000 years ago. The power of his resurrection is something that can be experienced presently and continually today. Because Jesus is risen, because he's victorious, because he is alive, that means that today, because he is a living God, the living Lord, he can currently provide power for your life. He can currently provide his power and his victory over things for you and I if we come into connection with him in a personal way. Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians in chapter 1 saying this, he prayed that they may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. He said it's according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. I want you to hear that. The Bible says for those of us who believe, God says, I am hoping, I am, I, my desire is that you would come to know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power that raised Jesus Christ back from death, God said, is something that we can know and we can experience in our lives. And listen, I don't care who you are this morning or what you're dealing with. We have struggles and challenges and weaknesses and we can't overcome things. We can't handle things. We can't conquer things. But listen, the very power that raised the Son of God as a man from death is available to you in your life for whatever you may need it for through your belief and trust in him. And it is this current ministry of Jesus' endless life, his ongoing life that now empowers us spiritually as well as guarantees our eternal destiny. And it's the resurrected ministry of Jesus here in Hebrews chapter 7 that the writer is discussing. Hebrews 7 is a chapter about the superiority of Jesus' ministry. How his ministry is far superior to help us in spiritual life and those he was writing to in that day basically had an unhealthy attachment to their religious system. And they were adhering to rules. They were adhering to rituals. They had religious observances probably far better than any one of us in this room. 
And they were faithful adherents to their religious routines and their rituals and the formalities of a spiritual life. But here the writer talks about how unlike their religious system that they were deeply committed to, that Jesus himself has brought something much better. Jesus has brought and brings a better hope of drawing near to God. Look with me in the 22nd verse, one before where we read. He says, so much more... Jesus has become surety of a better covenant. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus' endless life, the power of his endless life, brings a better hope and a better promise than any religious system or protocol of a religious lifestyle. The writer wants to show here that being a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, is not about participating in a religious system. It's not about participating in a religious routine and going through rituals and observances and you know when to do this and when to do that and what to say by rote and routine. And it's not about the religious formality and participating in that. It's about partaking in an ongoing relationship, just like we do with another person humanly. It's about partaking in a relationship with a living Lord who loves us and wants to have intimate relationship with us. It involves allowing Jesus to assist us through the constant presence of his life within our own. Look with me, verse 23, our text. This says, also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Now, he begins to talk about the role of the priesthood under the Old Testament system or the role of the priest. And in that day, the role of the priest was basically to help people to draw near to God. His role in his ministry was to assist people to be able to draw near to God, to help them in their worship life. The priest basically served somewhat as a human mediator in that capacity to basically help people to connect with God and, and he enabled people to have a deeper experience of worship. And in that sense, the priest, therefore, was a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus, of who Jesus ultimately would become in himself when he came to this earth to reach out to us Jesus himself becomes the ultimate high priest and the one who now helps us to have direct access to God. He helps us in our worship and our relationship with God through our relationship with him. So a, a priest had that function. Now, the thing the writer is pointing out to us here to show us this contrast is this. The one problem with a human priest, as we read there in verse 23, the one problem of a human priest is he had a limitation. He had a weakness, and that weakness is mentioned in verse 23. He says there needed to be many priests. Why? Because they kept being prevented by death from continuing. See, the one problem with a human priest in Israel was after a time, they died. Their ministry couldn't last forever. You may have a really great priest, and maybe he taught you more about God than anybody ever did. Maybe he prayed better prayers for you and he really challenged you and encouraged you to walk with the Lord and, and help give you spiritual counsel. But at some point, the assistance of that priest, one day, it abruptly ended. One day, all of a sudden, that priest died. He experienced the death process and he was no longer able to help you anymore. He wasn't available. And so here you had come to rely on this priest and he helped you and he really assisted you in your walk with God and your relationship with the Lord. And yet eventually one day abruptly his ministry was over 
And he couldn't help you anymore. He couldn't give you the assistance that you needed spiritually. Death presented him from providing ongoing spiritual help. It kept him from giving continuous, unending spiritual assistance. So through a human priest, a human priest could not offer, a human priest could not supply things like constant assurance that you were right with God because eventually they died. So they couldn't give you constant assurance that you were always in right relationship with God. A human priest could not give you continual access in helping you approach and relate to God. A human priest couldn't give you continual assistance in the matters of your spiritual life by helping you in different ways with your relationship with God. That's why he says in verse 24, look at it. However, now he sets Jesus in contrast to those human priests that would die. He says, but he, Jesus, the contrast, because he continues forever. He has an unchangeable, the language is a permanent priesthood. The difference of Jesus compared to any man, the writer wants to show Jesus' great superiority as our ultimate final great high priest who has a permanent unchangeable priesthood because he rose back from the dead. The power of Jesus' endless life is he says here, he continues forever. He continues forever. It never ends. It never ceases. The access that Jesus provides you and I to God always remains the same. It's never broken. It's never hindered by anything. All the spiritual assurance that Jesus offers will never cease because it says he has an unchangeable priesthood. Jesus' role in helping us never ends. The writer of Hebrews says later on in the 13th chapter that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's wonderful news for all of us to realize that what Jesus was yesterday in your life, what Jesus is today in your life, he will continue to be. That's a wonderful thing because the reality is, is listen, we don't experience that with any other human being. You know, uh, I, my wife has to live with me every day and what I was yesterday, I may not be today. And what I am today, I may not be tomorrow because I'm a human being. But with Jesus, what he was yesterday, he will be today. And what he is today, he will be tomorrow and forever because he is unchangeable in who he is. And Jesus' constancy and stability is a wonderful thing. It provides continual help and ongoing assistance and assurance in your spiritual life. Unlike any other person, he is forever reliable. He is 24-7 dependable. No matter where you're at or what you're going through or what season of life you're in, Jesus will never fail you. Not just because how much he loves you, he can't fail you. Because he can't fail. He has an endless life. Jesus will never change. Not because he doesn't want to change, but because he can't change. He's an immutable, unchanging God. So he provides this reliability and this stability. And we don't ever have to worry about losing Jesus' help or Jesus' life or presence ending. He gives us eternal guarantee, eternal guarantee to always be there for us. Hebrews 13 says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it is that present power of Jesus's endless resurrected life today that in verse 25, the writer of Hebrews is sort of giving now a summary verse to say, listen, let me tell you some things about this present resurrected life of Jesus that will never change, that will never cease, will never end. He says in verse 25, therefore, in light of these things, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the writer here mentions three things, if you would, about the power of Jesus' resurrected life that we can all experience right now presently. Three things he's going to mention. First of all, spiritual assurance. He says the present power of Jesus' risen life provides to us spiritual assurance. Look at the 25th verse. Here's the spiritual assurance. It says he is able to save us to the uttermost if we come to God through him. Note the language there. It's not foremost describing what we're saved from. He doesn't say what we're saved from, but he's talking about what we're saved to. The idea is, is to what extent or how far is able, Jesus able to save us? He says he is able to save us to the uttermost. The idea is to the uttermost point, to the end of all time and eternity. Now, granted, the Bible does make it clear that we are saved from something as well. In fact, a lot of times people look at this verse and without paying attention to context, they just talk about, wow, Jesus is able to, to save us to the guttermost. I've heard people preach sermons, Jesus can save you from the guttermost. Well, that's a cute sounding sermon, but that's not really what the text is saying. Granted, Jesus does save us from sin, and I'm not diminishing that fact at all. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The one thing you share in common with every other breathing human being in this room this morning may not be your good looks or how wonderful you look in your tie or your Easter dress, but the one thing you share is this, you're ugly on the inside. We're all failures. We all miss the mark. We all miss the mark. We can all fire at the same bullseye if it were at the back of the room and somebody who's a really great markman may hit that thing nine out of ten times. I wouldn't hit it once. But the bottom line is we'll both fail. We all fail. Whether thought, word, or deed, the Bible says that we're born in that condition. We're born sinful. It's nothing insulting. It's just the truth of God's word. If you raise children, you say, you don't have to teach them how to do what's wrong. They know how to do wrong automatically. You teach them how to do what's right because we're prone to what's doing wrong. When we begin to sin, we just prove that we're sinful. That's what we are by nature. And because of that reality, God tells us as a holy God that if we're not saved from that sin... So this is a truth. If we're not saved from that sin, then the Bible teaches there is the eternal lake of fire. Our sin may be manifested differently, but we all fail equally. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Some of you here today, perhaps you've been saved from severe immoral lifestyles. Maybe some pretty evil practices. Others of you, perhaps you've been saved from being very proud and your self-righteous attitude or being mean-spirited or lying or cheating. Others have been saved from maybe just our own religious deception where you thought you were fine for a while because you were more religious than anybody on the block. And then you came to realize that mm, I'm a religious sinner. I'm religious, but my religion doesn't save me. So the truth of the matter is we all need, absolutely agreed, we all need to be saved from the penalty of the righteous judgment we deserve for our sin. And thankfully because of Jesus and what he's accomplished in his death and resurrection, which we celebrate this weekend, that is available to all of us. We can all be saved from the guilt of our own sin. Jesus can rescue us as lost people and save us from sin controlling us and its consequences presently and the guilt of it and the eternal punishment that we deserved and that's a wonderful thing to rejoice in that he can spare us from our sin paul told the believers in thessalonica 
we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Yet the assurance of this text here does not cease with what we're saved from. That is a spiritual truth. What the writer's talking about here is he's saying that because Jesus lives forever, what we are saved to, we are saved all the way to the uttermost point. It's speaking of the reality here that unto the vanishing point and to the end of eternity, it speaks of the enduring commitment of Jesus once we are saved. And that once we come to Christ and experience his forgiveness, the preserving power of Jesus, because he's alive and risen, will keep us all the way to the end. It will preserve us to the vanishing point of eternity. Now, that's important because we experience Jesus' salvation, each of us, hopefully, at some point in our life. If not, at the end of the service today, we'll give you an opportunity to do that. But once we get saved, what happens? We get saved and we meet the Lord and finally the lights turn on. Wow, this is, wow, I didn't realize this. It all makes sense now and we're rejoicing over the forgiveness of our sins and the guilt is gone and, and that weight of guilt from our conscience is taken away and we have a peace within us that we never knew before and we're all excited. But then what's to happen? You start to walk with Jesus for about a day and you start to fail. And you realize, well, my punishment for sins been forgiven but I'm still sinning once in a while I'm still failing I'm still periodically thinking something I wish I didn't think or saying something I wish I didn't say and all of a sudden you realize you're forgiven of sin but you realize there's still this struggle at times where you periodically fall prey to sin or you backslide a little and such times what happens then in our sensitive conscience we start to get nervous and we start to think oh my goodness what if I get kicked off the team? What if I get thrown out of God's family? There may be one of you here this morning, maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long time, and maybe at some point you did accept Jesus, and you're thinking, yeah, I'll go back, but I don't feel like I'm part of the family anymore. And our conscience and condemnation begins to weigh upon us as a person who put our faith in Christ. And some people, honestly, sadly, some people live in constant worry over their failures or over their mistakes that they've made since they've come to Jesus Christ or they fear shipwrecking eternally. We have to remember Jesus himself is who makes us acceptable to God. Jesus makes us acceptable. We're no more righteous on the day we got saved than on the day that we've walked with Jesus for five years. It's what Jesus did. He gives us his righteousness. He removes our sin and we receive the righteousness of Jesus so that God can look at us as acceptable. And this is the assurance that we have, that his life provides us insurance of the righteous standing. Romans 4 says Jesus was delivered because of our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. That means that we have a judicial standing of being righteous before God. We're still sinners. In the past we sinned. We still sin and struggle presently. We're going to sin until the day that we die because we still have a sinful flesh. But our judicial position by our faith in Jesus Christ makes us righteous before God so that God looks upon us as clean and pure. It's a standing. And Jesus' risen life is what enables him to keep us, listen, Christian, from start to finish to the uttermost. It's Jesus who's able to save us all the way to the uttermost. Paul says it this way in Romans 5. Much more than having been justified by his blood, 
We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, listen, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That is continuously preserved, saved by the risen, current, resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Jesus' present life assures us we're not just saved from our past alone, but Jesus can and will keep us even through all of our present struggles, which we all continue to wrestle with. He's able to save you this morning from the sinful, selfish tendencies that you're still battling against. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14 that he's preparing a place for us in heaven as Christians. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, he said, I'll come again to receive you that where I am there, you may be also. So he's preparing a place for you if you're a child of God this morning. And and there's a reservation there. And Jesus' intention, listen, is not to let you blow it and rent out your digs to somebody else. That's not what Jesus' plan is. Oh, I'm preparing this place for Tony because he's a child of God now. But man, he really blew it. Forget that I'm renting to somebody else. What a mess. I mean, I'm just rehab, change the place. We're renting to somebody else now. Different carpet, different paint. Listen, that's not what Jesus' intention is. Jesus' intention is, is to keep your reservation, to guarantee that you succeed spiritually. And because he's alive, he's able to do that. Some dead religious leader can say good things and tell his people to follow the things that he did. But a risen Savior can say, this is what I ask you to do, and I'm alive, and I will help you every day to do it. And I will assure to the uttermost point that you will be guaranteed that you're going to arrive. I'll get you there. I want you to enjoy eternity. I'm going to get you there. The Bible tells us in Jude 24, he's able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory. I just want you to ponder that. Jesus is able to not only keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless. I can't wrap my mind around it because I got a lot of faults. Don't say amen. But I know I do. And that one day he's going to present me faultless. I want you to think of some of the mistakes and the failures that you've made in your life. I want you to think specifically of how maybe even since you've been a Christian, your little tours of backsliding or the foolish, selfish things that you've done and to realize that Jesus says, if your faith is in me, the power of my blood and my risen life is able to one day say, but Father, he belongs to me. I paid for him. He's mine. And I present him to you faultless, clean, and pure. And what an amazing thing that his life is able to do that. Remember, our hope's not in a dead religious leader with no power, but a living Savior who can preserve us all the way through into eternity. Jesus overcame death's power, so he's able to give you the power to do the same, to give you the eternal life that he possesses as the Son of God. And what a wonderful thing. Listen, this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, you already have eternal life. You received it from Jesus because he has eternal life. And therefore, this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, death is not a fearful, dreaded enemy anymore. Now it's just a servant to deliver you into the kingdom of God, to be with the Son of God who gave you the eternal life you received when you came to him. Jesus committed to the eternal relationship way more than we are. And what a wonderful thing that he is able to give us spiritual assurance. You rest assured this morning as a Christian Jesus' risen life 
gives you spiritual assurance to carry you through, to take you home to the uttermost. The second thing we see, verse 25 here, is the present power of Jesus' life not only gives us spiritual assurance, but another thing we see here in verse 25 is it gives to us spiritual access. Spiritual access. Look at there in the 25th verse. He says, he is able to save those, look what it, who come to God through him. Who come to God through him, through Jesus. We're told clearly there in the Bible, one of many places, the way to come to God is through the person of Jesus. That is coming to God initially for the very first time in your life, which we all have to do as sinners at some point. And then coming to God continually in an ongoing relationship. Initially, as we talked about earlier, as sinful people, we can only have access to God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can approach God. Jesus died for our sins upon the cross and he rose again and he ascended back to the right hand of the Father for a reason. It wasn't in vain. The Bible says if righteousness could be attained by the law, then Christ died in vain. I have a hard time believing that God would let his son come and be mocked and spit on and falsely accused and be humiliated and pierced and die on a cross naked and humiliated and pour his blood out into the ground if God said, well, yeah, I mean, that's good, but if you work hard enough or give me enough money or do something or cut me a slick deal, I'll let you into heaven. No, the reason Jesus did what he did is because there is no other way. There's no other way. And because of what Jesus did, it has to humble us to allow us to realize that is the only way. There's nothing I can do. I need to realize that was what was necessary and to appreciate that Jesus did that for us to offer us access to God. Though people hold many different ideas and I understand that. I did as one point as well. Though there are religious establishments that want to convey to people the way to connect with God or approach God, again, is, is through religious rituals or routines or if you're connected to this or to a member of that, that somehow that confers spiritual life or can let you have a relationship with God. Can I say to you lovingly, but as honestly as I can, the Bible says that the only way to have access to God is through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible declares that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. That God desires all to be saved, it says, and come to a knowledge of the truth. That truth is that very statement. The truth is, is that there is one God and one mediator now between God and men, and it's the man, Christ Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, miraculously, so that he could be in touch with God and he could be in touch with mankind. And so that he could build the bridge as a mediator to allow us to have relationship with God, to reunite us as sinful people with a holy God. That's why Jesus boldly declared that statement. It offends some, but it's as honest as can be. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus would never make it in our current political culture. He was not politically correct at all. It was very exclusive regarding certain things. But I think eternity is pretty important. You don't want to take a chance on that. And Jesus said, the only way is through me. It's not through observing religious routines or rituals or membership or infant baptism. We must approach God, the Bible says, one way. Access is through one point, and it's through the person of Jesus, relationally. 
knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus in a personal way as your Savior for your sin and letting Him be Lord of your life and by choosing at some point in your life when you begin to understand that, accepting that for yourself and at some point saying, I believe that and I believe that for me. I believe that for me. I believe Jesus had to die for me. I believe Jesus had to rise from the dead for me. I don't just believe it universally because the rest of my family does or the people I go to worship meetings do. No, I believe that for me. And I receive that now for me because God, the only way I can come to you is if I come to you through your son because only your son can remove the guilt of my sin. Only your son can give me access to you. And that is so important to recognize that reality that Jesus must at some point remove the guilt of our sin as individuals. Why? Because a pastor didn't die on the cross for your sins. And a church did not die on the cross for your sins. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. And now as the Savior and the Lord who is alive, he says, if you want to come to God, I can wash away all your sin. I can take away every ounce of guilt. I can give you a brand new life and you can come into a relationship with God. I can introduce you into that relationship with God. And it's that present life of Jesus that gives us access to God initially. But then for those of us, once we come to know him, it's Jesus who gives us access to God continually as well. That every day we can continue to have a relationship with God and we have continual access to God as we come to God through Jesus. By faith, we can approach God directly in a relational way. Again, not religiously or formally. We're not living a life of routines. And I remember when I first became a Christian, people said, oh, you got really religious, dude. No, I didn't get, I didn't get religious. I met Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus now. I'm not very good at following rules. Don't ask my parents. They'll probably tell you a little bit about that. I'm, we all have our shortcomings. But a relationship... That's a different thing. And to be able to have a relationship with Jesus on an ongoing basis, to have access to God in this living way, Jesus offers us as Christians an everyday experience to walk with God, to have a relationship with the Lord who is alive and to experience intimate fellowship and companionship as we do with a friend every day. Listen, we have access continually to God through Jesus. That means every day you can pray to someone who's actually listening and who actually cares to help, and who actually has the power to do something about it when you ask. And it's not just rubbing some lucky charm. I hope so. I hope something happens. No, you're talking to a living Lord who overcame death, who sits on the throne of God with the power of all creation of heaven and earth, who's listening and says, I can help with that. I have the power to help with that. And it's his life that gives us that access to approach him every day that we can hear from someone who's still speaking and walk together and have relationship and fellowship. And we have this access to the throne of God continuously all the time because we know the king's son. Again, imagine if you were married to a king's child. And if you were married to a king's child, you'd have a unique privilege. That would mean that because of that relationship with that child, you could probably have access to one of the most powerful people that existed. Well, the same is true spiritually. Through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have access 
to the very throne of God. Hebrews 4 says it this way, Seeing we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly or confidently to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an amazing thing that we can confidently approach the throne of God. We don't have to go through little loopholes or this, that, or say the right things. You can come directly to the throne of God because you come through the access of a relationship with the very King of Kings, Son, Jesus Christ, as we come to Him. Well, thirdly, we see in verse 25 here the third benefit we want to draw to your attention regarding the present power of Jesus' risen life that it provides not just spiritual assurance and access, but the third thing we see here is He speaks of the assistance that Jesus provides spiritually, the spiritual assistance of Jesus' risen life. It says here in verse 25 again, if I can draw your attention one more time, he says Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. If we come to God through him, here's the reason why we have assistance, since or because he always lives to make intercession for us. Because Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, there's constant spiritual assistance Paul says it this way in Romans 8, Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. See, as believers, there's still a constant struggle and opposition that we deal with every day in spiritual matters. And so we need help continuously to try and live victoriously. The world is against us. Did you pick up on that recently? It seems there's a very anti-Christian spirit that exists in our culture. And the world is not going to stand up and give you a, you know, a, a standing ovation if you try and follow Jesus or live for Jesus or say, I believe the word of God or I, I, I follow Jesus Christ. Listen, you're not going to get applause for doing that. You're going to be like a fish swimming against the current. That's the way it's going to be. And it's not going to get better. It's just the reality of what the scripture tells us. So we have the world that's constantly working against us. We have the devil who hates us and is constantly working against us in spiritual opposition. And then if you didn't notice, you have this thing called a sinful flesh. It's the little Judas Iscariot that lives inside of every one of us. Where you want to do the right thing, but you do the wrong thing. And you don't want to do the wrong thing, but yet you find yourself that you do it anyway. And we have these forces always working against us, the power of sin tempting us and pressuring us to do what's wrong and destructive. And then the power of condemnation when we do fail that wants to drive us away and make us bury our head in the sand because we failed and made a mistake. And then the power of the devil trying to destroy us. Jesus told Peter this, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but take heart for I have prayed for you. And here, the writer of Hebrews tells us that even after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended back into heaven, he's doing the same ministry. The same thing he gave Peter assurance about regarding the things that were against him. It says here in verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for us. That word intercession is an interesting word when you look at it. It could also be translated intervention. Intervention. Now, I like that reality because I continually need intervention spiritually, from the Lord. I need his constant intervention in my life. That answers the concerns we all have facing our own weaknesses to let us know there's assistance available in our spiritual lives. 
that there's help that Jesus wants to give us, ongoing intervention. Jesus constantly wants to help you to experience victory in your spiritual life, and he will, as often as you need, intervene and intervene to help in any way that you need his assistance in your spiritual walk. Now, let me just say, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know if we can ever fully understand what the Bible means, Romans 8, Hebrews 7, when it tells us Jesus makes intercession for us. Is he continually pleading before the throne of God on our behalf in a judicial sense to represent that we're no longer guilty for our sin? 1 John 2 says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The idea is a defense attorney. And picture Jesus in that way as your heavenly defense attorney. So again, as the devil comes, and the Bible says the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he tries to point out your failures, and yeah, but what about they did this? I mean, that is so vile. That is so gross. That is so, and, and well, since they've been a Christian, they did that. And to remember that Jesus can be there in his righteousness as our advocate and validate to all of heaven against the devil's accusations. Listen, that is true. Tony did do that. Tony did do that. But judicially, a person cannot be punished twice for the same crime. And that sentence was served. That sentence was served 2,000 years ago when I served the sentence for him. You know, one man said this, I quote, he said, perhaps Jesus' intercession regarding our own failures is not through his words, but through the constant appearance and indication of his wounds. What an amazing thing to think about, that he remains there in heaven, bearing the wounds of his suffering for all of the eternal dimension in such a way to constantly validate as the lamb that was slain, his wounds speak of what he did, verifying for all the eternal realm, yeah, we're failures, but we're forgiven now if our trust is in him and that he can make that intercession certainly Jesus' intercession provides as well just continual care and ministry just like a human priest would in that day he assists us and he helps us and that's great because once we're saved we're not immediately taken into heaven right we get saved to be great I mean it would save God probably a lot of insurance casualties he save you and kill you save you and kill you save you bring you to heaven He'd probably avoid a lot. I mean, he could probably cut his staff in half in heaven. But what happens? He saves you, and then he lets you keep walking on this earth. And you're still wrestling, and I'm still struggling and dealing with things, and yet Jesus is there to continually give us priestly aid and care and guidance and help and assistance and to use his current life to empower us. See, the thing that we want to remember is that Jesus' intercession or intervention isn't just regarding the penalty of our sin. It's also, please hear me, it also is available to assist and to help us, his spiritual assistance, with the power of sin. And that's the current problem that we're dealing with until we usher ourselves one day behind the veil into eternity when our death brings us to that place. Jesus overcame sin victoriously. You read a verse earlier that said how Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. That's something wonderful. That means that every temptation that is humanly possible to sin, Jesus experienced it and he beat it. He overcame it. He was tempted in all points, yet as the perfect man, he never failed. So he alone knows how to have victory over any sin, any struggle, anything of that nature, and Jesus is alive. And so he's available to assist you. And so he said, Lord, I don't know how to defeat this. 
This habit, I've been trying for so long to overcome this habit. And he says, you got it. You can't overcome it. But I overcame it. And if you'll yield to my power, my resurrected power, I can give you the power to overcome that. Because I know how to overcome it. I already had victory over it. And what a wonderful thing to recognize this morning that victory over sin is available through Jesus. He can intervene and deliver us from sin's hold on our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and there's some hold that sin has on your life that you, like a ball and chain, say, I wish I could just overcome this. Listen, the only person that can help you overcome it is Jesus. And he has the power to help you overcome it. Maybe the power of sin keeps tripping you up. Jesus can set you free from things and enable you to overcome temptation. Maybe say, oh, this temptation, every time it comes. Hebrews 2 says, and that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. So the assistance of Jesus is that because he's alive, when you're tempted by sin, he didn't just deal with the penalty of your sin, he also broke the power of sin and he can break the power of sin over your life. It means something this morning. People can change. There's always change available. Because Jesus can break the power of sin from holding us, and he can empower you to overcome any temptation, any struggle to walk in the victory that his risen, powerful life provides. All the spiritual assistance to live a successful, fruitful Christian life is available. It's available in Jesus. It's available in Jesus. What's our response? We need to believe it. We need to believe it and we need to receive it so we can experience it. And I tell you this, that's what Jesus wants for you this morning. Whether you're a believer or whether today's the day that perhaps you'd want to consider becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Let's pray.